Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Osea. Meet their body care breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum for 24 hours of hydration. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OSEAMalibu.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now, here's the show. There was almost like the sense of nostalgia for the Trump period, let's say in 2017. They want the economy Mm. of the Trump era. The fastest growing population in the all-important swing state of Pennsylvania is Latino. And many of them lean Republican. It's Tuesday, February 20th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, it's a presidential election year, so Pennsylvania's politics are everyone's politics. We'll hear how Latinos in the state are feeling. Also, the drought-stricken West is in a constant battle against evaporation to preserve fresh water. One new tactic covering canals with solar panels. We're still going to have enough energy and enough water uh, conserved to protect our community uh, against climate change and to make it sustainable and really realize the complete goal of being one of the first net zero communities and having it being a native sovereign tribe. I think that that's an amazing accomplishment. Those stories coming up in a few minutes. But first, Texas is forging ahead with plans to take immigration enforcement into its own hands. And now it's building its own military base along the border to put some muscle behind that claim. Governor Greg Abbott says the new facility in Eagle Pass will eventually house more than 2,000 National Guard troops. Julian Aguilar has more. He's with the Texas Newsroom, and he spoke to Scott Tong. This military base in the works, it will stand along 80 acres near the Rio Grande, It will have storage rooms for weapons, a gym, a big dining hall. What is the governor's reason for building this? So in his announcement, he said it would help, you know, consolidate the forces that are already there on the on the border, the Texas National Guard forces. He said that right now you have some units that are, you know, having to drive an hour to wherever they're deployed to. Um, They're staying in hotels, they're staying in tents, some are staying in private residences. So he, you know, sort of pitched this as a sort of, catch-all where there's, you know, obviously it's a little bit more convenient for logistic purposes, um, but also for um, Mm. morale and camaraderie that everybody's going to be together here. Um, That's, you know, that's the the operation itself. And what he said in addition to that is this is going to help Texas, you know, continue and possibly advance their current mission on the southern border, which uh, has obviously been going on for about three years now and has been the subject Mm -hmm. of a lot of controversy and even court battles. Yeah, and and the term uh, for this facility is forward operating base. That's what the military calls its outposts in Iraq and in Afghanistan. What should we make of that? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, uh, the opponents of what Governor Abbott's been doing for the last few years are saying, you know, he's just solidifying his presence and sort of stepping up the game, the sort of staring contest that they've had with the Biden administration. Um, you know, a, a permanent presence there on the border when, you know, we're used to sort of temporary deployments. Uh, I mean, this is going to up the ante here. And, and like you pointed mm -hmm. out, the governor's own language says, you know, we're going to have our, our state army here to be able to be deployed rapidly. Uh, I mean, definitely speaking in military terms. Yeah. And you mentioned Texas and its ongoing dispute with the federal government. The feds say they have the authority to enforce immigration laws. And the Supreme Court last month backed up the federal government saying Texas has to yield and take down some razor wire. Is Governor Abbott here ignoring that ruling? Sure. So there's there's been some legal analysis that say, you know, the Supreme Court ruling didn't tell Texas to do anything. What it did is instead it shielded federal officials from getting into any trouble. Um, you know, a lot of folks said, OK, this gives the Border Patrol the green light to take down these this razor wire barrier that's mm. been the subject of this controversy. They haven't uh, allowed Border Patrol access to this area called Shelby Park, which is near where the command base is going to be built down in Eagle Pass in Maverick County. So there's that's still going on. And that's just one court battle going on right now between the Texas uh, state government and the federal government and federal courts. So we'll see how this plays out. But folks in Eagle Pass were sort of taken by surprise, and most of them are not happy about what's going on in Maverick County and what's been going on for the last several months. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the scene in, in Eagle Pass. I've read some see signs of militia-style rhetoric that reminds some people of the tone surrounding the January 6th rioters. Sure. I mean, there was, you know, there was a, a lot of, of hype about this convoy that was going to go down earlier this month. Um, you know, they did have quite a few people, but some folks down there, I mean, they, they're using language that people on the border, that people have been, you know, that lived in Texas and born and raised on the border that they don't like, you know, this invasion language and this sort of militia talk. Uh, there were some instances where some of the folks that went into Eagle Pass um, were found to, you know, have been threatening some of the migrants with some language and even some of the folks here. So that, that definitely has people, you know, alarmed. Uh, you have to remember that in 2000 or in 2019, the Walmart shooter out here in El Paso, he used this invasion rhetoric and this hate speech as well. So people are saying, you know, four or five years ago, that was frowned upon. And now it's literally a campaign mm. slogan. So that's how far we've come with this rhetoric. Yeah. And just finally, this this base project, which is due to be constructed over the next several months, does it raise any legal questions? I mean, could this be be challenged? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, nobody's brought that up. And, you know, the Texas, I mean, the, you have Camp Mabry in Austin, which is the home to the, the Texas State Guard. And you have these installations. And this is on land that the government, that the state government has procured. So, um, you know, that's a great question. Nobody has, has raised that that issue yet, but we'll see moving forward. And it's one thing to note that the governor did not give a price tag on how much this is going to cost. Uh, so that's one thing that a lot of people are asking. Yeah, yeah, I understand. We've been talking to Julian Aguilar. He's breaking news reporter and producer for the Texas Newsroom. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Coming up next, the ancient Hohokam people were the first to build irrigation canals across Arizona. Now their descendants are putting solar panels over canals to save precious water. Peter O'Dowd has the story when we return. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. 
That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. If you've ever been to Phoenix, you might have noticed all the canals that cut across this city. There are more here than in Venice. In fact, Phoenix would hardly exist without artificial waterways like this one. They link farms and homes to several major rivers. But climate change is bringing dangerously hotter summers, and hundreds of miles of canals exposed to the unrelenting heat lose nearly 5% of their water to evaporation. The canal operators have known this for a long time. The government has even studied what kind of engineering and money it would take to cover them with shade. And for many years, the answer has been too much. But now, just south of Phoenix, something big is happening on the Gila River Indian Reservation. These panels here will span 28 feet over the Casablanca Canal. David DeYoung is managing a project to cover about 3,000 feet of irrigation canal with a solar farm. The tribe says it's the first project of its kind in the Western Hemisphere. DeYoung walks along the canal's edge as workers pour concrete piers that will support the panels. The work is funded by the Inflation Reduction Act, and DeYoung says it'll create enough renewable energy to power several thousand homes. It'll also reduce the amount of water that's lost to Arizona's sun. Nobody's ever done this before. All we have is some very small modeling that's been done in a laboratory somewhere. So we're pretty confident we're going to be able to reduce evaporative losses by at least 50%, possibly as high as two-thirds. And what that means on a practical level, we can reduce evaporative losses on this little segment of canal by about 10 acre-feet of water a year. For an average grower, that's two acres of land. That's barely a drop in the bucket. The Gila River Indian community gets about half its water from the Colorado River. Lately, water managers across the region have watched in alarm as reservoirs that serve 40 million people in the West drastically shrink because of climate change and overuse. Last year, the tribe volunteered not to use some of the Colorado River it's entitled to. When I met with tribal governor Stephen Rowe Lewis, he told me he's doing whatever he can to prepare for the future. This is an existential challenge, not only, of course, to our economy, but to our very existence, we see. These are the stories that have been told to me from our elders, uh, our songs, uh, our, 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 our customs and tradition. And so it's up to leaders like myself to educate our community, pushing them uh, to find innovative solutions, a path forward for the very 
survival of our people. I think that's an interesting point. Most people listening to this probably don't realize that indigenous people who settled this land thousands of years ago were the very people who started the canal systems that we're looking at now, that run through Phoenix. When you consider that, what significance does this have to you? Deeply personal, uh, almost to my blood, to my DNA. You know, this blood memory that traces us and connects us to the Hugum civilization, who we trace our ancestry to, who, you know, were amazing canal builders, where some of the canals were carbon dated at least a thousand years, if not older. And, and, and that is literally the footprint of, of what modern day Phoenix is built upon. That's what I tell our youth. That type of indigenous ancient innovation is still in you, in your blood DNA. Do not betray that. Uh, you know, that connection is what we're harnessing, literally. Today, on this ground, what we're seeing right now, hundreds if not thousands of years later. Well, it, it sounds like a no-brainer, right? I mean, having lived in this valley for most of my life, if not all of my life, I've heard people talking about this concept. Why don't you shade the canals? It will reduce evaporation. You could create clean energy. And yet, it's 2024, and it's now just starting to happen. Clearly, there are engineering challenges. There are money challenges. This isn't easy to do. Do you think what you're doing here can be replicated someday, perhaps, if we can clear these hurdles um, on the hundreds of miles of canals that stretch across this big city? I'm, I'm very hopeful it can, but, but also I think it has to. And hopefully we can show a pathway um, with, a, with a lot of the, the infrastructure challenges. Hopefully, you know, the, uh, others can learn from us as well. The Gila River community is um, giving up a great deal of water from the Colorado River to keep in Lake Mead. The river's facing a crisis. Are you looking for ways to separate yourself from a future with the Colorado River? Moving forward, we know that there's challenges with this ongoing climate change uh, mega drought that we're in. We're not resting on our laurels here. We actually have three major infrastructure projects uh, that we are uh, vetting with the federal government, with the Bureau of Reclamation now, that could potentially look at ways where we're not so dependent on the Colorado River. If, 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 you, think well, this is, if you think this is innovative. Well, if I may, we, so that's we, why, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I may, is, is, that, is that what this is in one way a part of? looking for innovative solutions for the future if the Colorado River source is no longer there for you. If all of this is successful moving forward, even if we're 75% successful, we're still going to have enough energy and enough water uh, conserved to protect our community uh, against climate change and to make it sustainable and really realize the complete goal of being one of the first net zero communities and having it being a native sovereign tribe. I think that that's an amazing accomplishment. That was Stephen Rowe Lewis, governor of the Gila River Indian community on the banks of an irrigation canal south of Phoenix. And by the way, the tribe may be the first to cover a canal with a solar farm in the U.S., but they won't be the last. There's a similar project underway at the Turlock Irrigation District in the Central Valley of California. Those panels could be fired up by the end of the year. Neither are doubt. For more reporting on climate solutions, big and small, from around the country, head to our website, hereandnow.org. And check out our series, Reverse Course. Coming up, Scott speaks with a political reporter who says a growing Latino belt is about to reshape politics in Pennsylvania. That's after the break.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares Betterment's philosophy on investing. No matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth. Get started at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. Voters say one of the key issues in the 2024 election is immigration. And for one of the most compelling storylines on this issue, look no further than the city of Hazleton in northeastern Pennsylvania. It was once a city of European immigrants who worked in the mines and the mills. Hazleton made national headlines in 2006 when city officials vowed to make the city the toughest place on illegal immigrants in America. The city's Latino population was very small then. But now, Latinos are the fastest-growing demographic group in Pennsylvania, which, of course, is a key battleground state. And that growth is happening outside of Philadelphia in cities like Hazleton, which is now more than 60% Latino. Let's talk about this, the political implications, with Charles McElwee. He's founding editor of Real Clear Pennsylvania and a contributing writer at Political Magazine and City Journal. His article in Politico is, A Growing Latino Belt is About to Reshape Politics. Charles, welcome to Here Now. Scott, thanks for having me. You have family ties to Hazleton, where so much about the people and the politics have changed. Can you give us a little picture of the place? Who lived there and worked and played there in the past generation versus now? Yeah, I would say that the best way to describe Hazleton would be to take a neighborhood in Brooklyn or the Bronx with a mosaic of cultures placed on the mountain in northeastern Pennsylvania Hmm. and incorporate some anthracite coal. And that's Hazleton, densely packed on the plateau, where at one point 30 languages were spoken and where Hmm. the first Slovak Catholic Church, the first Tyrolean Catholic Church, and really the birthplace of the Ukrainian Catholic Church in America in the, Hmm. the broader Hazleton area. So fast forward, Scott, um, today, Hazleton is really part of a broader region that has become the global hub for warehousing and logistics um, on the East Coast from Mm. Allentown and Reading to Hazleton. So really a a picture of also the country's increasing move to a service economy that you see there in Hazleton now. And it is 60 percent Latino, I understand. So kind of what brought them uh, to this place to work there? The best way to put it is it's strategically located near the crossroads of Interstate 80 and 81. Mm. 
and it is just two hours west of the George Washington Bridge, which goes into the Washington Heights neighborhood of the Bronx in New York City, which has the largest Dominican community in America. And after 9-11, second to third generation Dominican Americans seeking a better quality of life turned to Hazelson. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the Latino workers there, for Latino business leaders in the city, how does their worldview overlap with Republican Party priorities? You write about that in your piece. So Hazleton is at the southern end of Luzerne County. And for perspective, Luzerne County accounted for 60 percent of Trump's winning margin statewide in 2016. Mm. Trump would not have won Pennsylvania in 2016 without Luzerne County. Thereafter, in 2020, where the election was decided by 82,000 votes, Luzerne was critical to that razor-thin outcome in Biden's victory. So I I consider this, Scott, the second phase of what we're seeing across the country of this working-class realignment toward the GOP. Latino voters in the city of Hazleton are mirroring the broader trend occurring in northeastern Pennsylvania once a reliably democratic region among the most democrat in Pennsylvania to one that, in the case of Luzerne County, is on pace to having a voter registration majority for the GOP. Yeah. And, and Charles, I, I wonder, I mean, you, you you went there, you have a, a lot of family there still. Is there a conversation with a Latino voter you had that kind of captures this? I wonder if there are any examples that help illustrate this pattern you're talking about. Yeah, the pattern, I guess the best way to put it, Scott, is the consistency of the voter sentiments. So both, let's say, lifelong Hazeltonian voters and then Latino voters who may have come to Hazelton post-2000, they share concerns about the cost of living. In December, for perspective, uh, a report came out that Pennsylvania led the nation in year-to-year grocery price increases. So in all my conversations, my interviews, Latino voters talked about the the cost of grocery prices, supporting their families. If you're in a role of sole proprietorship, in, especially in retail or services, you, you're, you don't want to put that cost onto the consumer. Mm-hmm. And they're really feeling it in a place like Hazleton where the industries are warehousing services and small businesses. And they're connecting the inflation not to the business cycle, but they're connecting it to the uh, to the incumbent in the White House? They're connecting it with Biden, correct. So there's almost like the sense of nostalgia for the Trump period. Let's say in 2017, they want the economy mm. of the Trump era. And they also, uh, similar to 2016, were talking about not getting involved in foreign entanglements and keeping jobs in America and concerns, too, about the border. And and how, in general, do these Latino voters, two or three generations after people have come to the USA from the Dominican Republic, how do they talk about immigration and talk for those who associate themselves with the Republican side on immigration? How do they articulate that? In my interviews, the, the answer was consistently about closing the border and concerns about um, the, the, the migrant crisis in New York. All of that plays a part in tandem with the concerns about the cost of living that voters in a place like Luzerne County, regardless of background, 
are flocking toward Trump. Mm. Charles, do do you hear, you know, among the Latino voters a resentment to, you know, migrants crossing illegally, certainly in, in, in other immigrant groups, certainly among some Asian Americans. The argument is, you know, I came a generation or two ago, quote, the right way, uh, and we shouldn't be allowing what's happening now. That's exactly the sentiment being expressed in, the, in a place like Hazleton or Allentown or Reading. Yes, that. Mm. And I think I quoted one voter. It, it, it's akin to standing in line at the grocery store and somebody in the back gets to go to the front and they're casting Mm. blame on Biden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting as I hear you talk about it, I remember it was 2012, I believe, right? The Republican Party after losing the election, presidential election, had this autopsy where they said, we need the Republican machine to reach out and target Latino voters. But you write that at least in these parts of northeastern Pennsylvania, this is happening organically? It's happening organically, and, and, and when you factor in 2012, the demographic change in what I call this Latino belt, which includes Allentown, Reading, and Hazleton, it really has accelerated that much more since 2012. And it is happening in spite of the Republican Party in Pennsylvania, where, hmm. as it stands, they're, they're, the infrastructure of that party is diminished. And there mm-hmm. are 600,000 Latinos in Pennsylvania who are eligible to vote, and that's more than enough to decide an election in a state that's infamous for its razor-thin margins. Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of rhymes the way you just said that with the importance of the Arab-American vote in Michigan, right? I mean, large enough numbers to be a significant swing vote in a critical swing state. And that brings me kind of to the last question, Charles, is do you sense that the the parties, whether the local party Uh, organizations in northeastern Pennsylvania or nationally sense that this cohort of Latino voters could be critical to how 2024 plays out nationally? I think there is an understanding now more than ever and an understanding that if the Latino vote is engaged, they will turn out. And I think the challenge for both parties um, in recent years on the Republican side Latino voters were not engaged. And on the Democratic side, the party took their vote for granted. And now we're seeing this dynamic where Latino voters, when engaged, are actually expressing sympathetic viewpoints, not only toward the GOP, but enthusiasm for Trump in places like Hazleton, where Democrat votes were once considered reliable. We've been talking to Charles McElwee. He's founding editor of Real Clear Pennsylvania and a contributing writer to Politico Magazine and City Journal. Charles, thanks so much for the time. Scott, thank you. That's our show. It comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Sam Rafelson, Peter O'Dowd, and Lynn Menegon. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Micaela Rodriguez, Chico Fiori, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Michaela Varela. Mike also wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. 
Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.